come with me on an exploration of self-discovery. On this podcast, we decipher what really matters as we unravel the chaos of day-to-day work to learn how to build an essential life. Welcome to the What's Essential podcast. I use this episode, this opportunity to talk directly with you that I love so much to answer some questions that a Brazilian newspaper had sent to me. Something amazing is happening in Brazil with both effortless and essentialism. And you see it elsewhere as well in various community forums that there's just a whole hub of enthusiasm for these ideas there and that they're being embraced in a disproportionate and exciting way. And the questions that they presented to me were so interesting and thoughtful. I didn't get through all of them in the first episode. And so I just wanted to continue today with answering the questions that they presented. And, and let's, let's get into it. In your book, Effortless, you talk about this culture in which everything works 24 hours a day and some people just don't know how to relax. Well, that's true. Today, with mobile phones and social media, we have the feeling that we don't turn off because we're connected all the time. Yes. If we disconnect, we have the feeling that we won't be able to compete with a person who does the opposite. How can we change that perception? Hmm. Well, one answer to that question is don't compete at a race you don't want to win. What I mean is, don't win in the wrong race. Um, I once went to an event with some of the most senior leaders in some of the major corporations in the United States. Uh, it was an interesting setting because they took us into this um, very impressive hotel and there were these almost secret pathways, alleys almost, into this one grand room a kind of library room, uh, something you, you might see in a Jane Austen movie. And, and that's where everybody was gathered, about you know 40 or 50 leaders. And as the time we spent together went on, I sensed something under the surface. And it was that as they talked about some of their regrets, as one of the people were vulnerable about his relationship with his teenage son and how strained it was, I suddenly had that feeling, this is a group of people who have won at the wrong game. They they made it to the top of something that really was a questionable achievement. You don't want to win the, I spent more time in my inbox than anybody else race. You don't want your tombstone to read, he checked email. You don't want to be the person who wins the record for the most Zoom, eat, sleep, repeat lifestyle. Like th- this, is, this is not the award that you want. What you do want, I think, is to do great work. And the key for trying to negotiate that in a culture that may be um, emphasizing other more busyness themes, 
is to communicate about what you're trying to do and why. You've got to reveal your intent. This is the priority project that I am working on. And and this is the reason that it matters so much. Because A, B, and C. And this is why it's in the best interest of the team. Why it's in the best interest of the company. Why it's in the best interest of my manager. So I'm carving out time to spend on it. You've got to create space for it. Protect that time. There's a process that I teach when I'm working in workshops with teams. And I provide a series of 12 steps for identifying something that's essential, for eliminating something that's not, and for making it more effortless to make that trade-off. It's quite a simple process. And step two in the process is, why does this matter so much? I have people think about the answers. I have them write them down. And then sometimes... I'll surprise the group by saying, okay, we're going to take a break right now. And I want you to phone the person that you've also previously identified who you need to speak to about this change. And before you do, we're going to practice it right here. And we'll have people stand up. uh, And I explain to them that what they've written down, what they thought was just a plan for themselves, has now become a script. And all they have to do is use that as a script, stand up and practice the phone conversation they're about to have. And here's what's most interesting about watching people do it. And I have seen this so many times. It has become a thing of real curiosity for me. People will stand. They have written these words out. They have it in front of them. They just have to use it verbatim. And they literally, to a person, skip number two. It's written right in front of them. They explain what they're trying to do. And and then they just jump onto what change they're going to make and maybe how they need the other person's support and so on. They'll go through everything else, all the other 11 answers, and they just skip number two. They don't explain that they're skipping it. They don't say, oh, listen, I, you know, I'm just going to not do number two. They, they don't acknowledge it. They just don't share it. And that's... That's such a shame because because you can talk about almost any subject with almost anyone if they know your motive, if they know why you're doing it. Top performers are not your busiest people in most organizations. Busy only takes you so far. Uh, you know, these top performers, of course, they have a good work ethic. Yes, fine. But what distinguishes them is their ability to focus on what matters and especially to do that consistently over time. So that's really the the vision to develop for yourself. It's not to become the busiest person. Well done, you won. You are now the busiest person in the whole world. This, This is no prize at all. Instead, it is to be the most valuable person that you possibly can. And that's the vision of being an essentialist, someone who's really focused on the things that matter most so that you do create far more value, but you do it without burning out. All right, the next question here. 
You also say in the book Effortless that we need to release ourselves from the pressure of always doing everything perfectly. How do you incorporate that idea in a society and in a work environment that does not accept mistakes? Should the change come from people or from companies, and in what way? Well, there's a lot in those questions. We need to shift from perfectionism. That is the idea that everything has to be perfect now and move to continual improvement. And, and that is really different. Perfectionism makes it harder for people to start, harder for people to make progress, and harder for people to complete projects. So perfectionism is a troublesome enemy. Uh, what I'm advocating in Effortless, this idea of the courage to be rubbish, means that you're encouraging yourself, but in this context, your employees, your team members, uh, to begin to take action. It's not an excuse for poor performance. It's not an anti-excellence message. It's rethinking the way to get to excellence. I mean, one of the phrases I love from uh, the book is the idea of creating a zero draft, not even a first draft, a zero draft. You know, it's, it's, you know, even as you're creating it, it's not going to be good. It, it is rubbish. It's, it's not even a first draft. It's, it's less than that. But you welcome it with what we could call the vision of revision. I've just begun some new research and I've been working with some marvelous professors at a world-class educational institute. And they approached this with me with the idea that the only way to get something great was to start with something bad and make it less bad. Like these weren't contradictory ideas to them. Of course, you just have to start badly. It was built into the process. The process was revision. We're going to go through this a bunch of times. So just get something to begin with. There was no pressure. I felt no pressure that the first version had to be perfect. It had to be put together. It had to have everything thought through. They, they, they made me so comfortable to be able to just begin. And it reminds me of um, there's a philosopher, Pete Hine, uh, who wrote this. He said, the road to wisdom, well, it's plain and simple to express. Er and er and er again, but less and less and less. You could rewrite that. The road to excellence, well, it's plain and simple to express to err and err and err again, but less and less and less. You build it into your mental model of excellence. You want continual improvement. That's the only path, especially in a reality, a world that is perpetually changing. And not just that's perpetually changing, but a world that is provided tools that make continual improvement so much more doable. That's what technology does at its best. That's what digitization makes plausible, that you can 
start something and edit it and transform it and change it that a website that you start with won't be the one that you end with, that you can keep modifying it over time. The entire agile movement is really built on that premise as well, that you can continually improve. So who makes these changes? Managers and individuals will, will, seriously, will embrace this eventually. What you want is progress over perfection. Instead of trying to write the great American novel, you know, the first draft, you write words on a page. As Margaret Atwood said, a word after a word after a word is power. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's move on to another question here. In 2020, Brazil registered a record for granting social security sickness benefits due to mental and behavioral disorders. Hmm. We know that investing in workers' mental health promotes an increase in productivity. Do you believe that the corporate world already recognizes this aspect? How can we move forward? Another thoughtful question. Like I think at the heart of this, corporations have had a bad paradigm about the relationship between overwork 
performance, and mental health. They have operated out of an industrial age mindset uh, where people are managed like machines, um, like cogs within, you know, within this system. And I love the metaphor of thinking about that paradigm like bloodletting. Okay, uh, a quick history lesson here for, for those not so familiar with bloodletting. Bloodletting began... 3,000 years ago, um, but it's only been recently, the late 19th century, that it was discredited uh, as a treatment for at least most ailments. This was adopted originally in Egypt, uh, was included in, um, in Greece, in Rome. It became really popular um, medieval times and, and, and into, into Europe. And it was, it was born out of the mental model of how the body works, well, which was wrong. I mean, we, we can't get into all of it right now, but, but there are some pretty fascinating examples if you go back and study bloodletting. King Charles II had a, a seizure and because people that were treating him, his his doctors, his his medical staff, were thinking about all maladies through this limited paradigm that they had, they they took something like twenty four pints of blood out of him, or something unbelievable. It's pretty clear now, at least in hindsight, that that bloodletting, um, you know, finished him off or at least was a major part of weakening his system. So, so this thing they were doing, it doesn't matter what their motives were. If your paradigm is wrong, if, you're, if your mental model about how things work is wrong, then you risk, in a sense, the most tragic mistakes of all, because these are the mistakes you make. You can make things worse in your attempt to make them better. That's why you have to keep learning and keep upgrading your understanding why ongoing education and challenging yourself to, to think and to learn and to grow is, is so vital. Actually, I mean, I've given you a British example, but George Washington, there was uh, bloodletting practiced on him uh, before he died. Uh, what's, what's not absolutely sure is that that's what, you know, to the degree to which that killed him. Uh, but it's it's there's certainly commentators now who believe that that uh, shortened his life. Now this is bloodletting. I mean, it it didn't change till um, till in Paris, as Doctor Pierre Louet uh, was a scientifically minded physician, and he wanted to study the efficacy of bloodletting, and he examined like the clinical course of seventy seven patients with acute pneumonia. Um, and he compared the results in patients treated with bloodletting in the early phase versus the late phase of the illness. I mean, that was the idea. And his conclusion wasn't just immediately condemning of all, you know, all things bloodletting, but he did conclude that the effect in the procedure was much less than was commonly believed. And he did that through this comparison. 
subsequent studies by Louis Pasteur, who uh, more, perhaps more famous uh, by others in their you know their their era, uh, confirmed the validity of that new scientific uh, methods. That 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 that's why we slowly got out of bloodletting, um, other than just for a very few select uh, conditions. Well. You know, that's an aside, uh, an illustration of something I think that's happening in corporations currently. There's still, even now, it's like corporations are just waking up to the limitations of the paradigm of overwork. No pain, no gain is not something as an idea that's limited to the gym. It's something that that can still permeates this celebration of the 24-7 non-stop cycle of work. It's wrong. It's as counterproductive as bloodletting was. But in the same way that bloodletting went on for so long, you know, 3,000 years, in a similar way, it's going to take time for these shifts to take place. Now, I don't mean it's going to take 3,000 years. No, we're not at that point at all. We're more like at the point, and it's one of the reasons I'm going at length to talk about it, we're more like this period where uh, Dr. Louis comes along and, and there's this tipping point. You know, we're at a point where many leaders in many organizations who used to play not even lip service to mental health, I mean, it was just you know, just at the periphery, suddenly are willing to invest in wellness uh, you know, programs, uh, wellness conversations, um, events, trying to now look at policies and so on. Like it's changing. There's a the pandemic has sped up a few f different themes. It's sped up digitization, and it has sped up the awareness of this issue. And those are probably you know, related at some degree. I, I was just talking to somebody just today, in fact. They were giving me the description of their organization. It's a global brand. They're working with, um, you know, they, they, they have hired, if anyone has ever hired, um, Hit Squad. That's my brother Justin's name for it. Uh, Hardworking, intelligent, talented people. And they are also investing in well-being, and that's why I'm involved with them. She was describing, she, she, she went to some lengths to describe what kinds of people they have, which was so helpful to me. And then she said, I mean, we work 24-7 here. And then she caught herself. And it wasn't that she was worrying that she was misrepresenting something to me. It was that she caught the language to go, why, why am I saying that? It, it isn't 24-7, and I don't want to reinforce the paradigm that that is what you have to do to be successful. She said, that's not quite right. I, I shouldn't say that as if I'm encouraging that. And that little encounter feels like an example of this shift. It's one person at a time. It's one catch yourself. Oh, that's not the right way to say that. I shouldn't seem like I'm re rewarding it, insisting that that's the path to success. And as we catch ourselves 
in our own interactions with other people, then we can start to dislocate this old way of working, the, the bloodletting way of management, and instead bring forward a truer, healthier paradigm for how people work and how people flourish. The old way might have been work harder. The new way is make it more effortless. And there we have it. That's a wrap. We've come to that time again, the end of the show. And I just can't help but say it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of this conversation today, for engaging on these subjects that can make, I believe, a real difference in your life, in the life of the people that matter most to you, the people on your team, the people who you influence. And in fact, if you can think of somebody right now who could could benefit from listening to the conversation that we just had, please send this to them. Please let them know. Please share it in your own social media community. And if you want to go one step further to reinvest back into the community, I'd love for you to take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts. The steps are simple. It will take you end-to-end less than really a couple of minutes. And then once you're done, take a photograph and email it directly to me. Send it to info at gregmcewen.com for a chance to win an annual membership, an all-access pass to all of the content at the Essentialism Academy, which you can learn about at essentialism.com. Again, thank you for listening. Today, as in every day, ask yourself, what's essential? This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.